This week on Twib Weddings, we're delighted to have Spencer Lum on the show to talk about momentum sales. Spencer is a wedding photographer based in Brooklyn, and he is responsible for creating Ground Glass, a fabulous online resource dedicated to helping photographers build their brand and grow their business in a crowded market. Spencer dispenses valuable insights into what it takes to keep a photography business moving and how to take it to the next level. Today, we're going to focus on the sales process and talk about something Spencer calls momentum sales. We'll dig into how you can find and attract prospects, and then how you can improve your sales process to turn them into clients. And welcome back to another episode of Twip Weddings. My name is Bruce Clark, and this week I am delighted to be joined by Brooklyn-based wedding photographer Spencer Lum from Ground Glass. I've got Spencer here to talk about momentum sales and how wedding photographers can refine their sales process to build a successful business. Welcome to Twip Weddings, Spencer. Hey, Bruce. Hey, glad to have you on the show. It's just you and me having a little fireside chat this week. Brian right. and Robert weren't able to join us, but hopefully we'll, we'll uh, I won't scare you off and you'll come back on a future episode <laughs> and we can have a, a good full roundtable discussion with the four of us. But uh, really glad you could join us this week. Glad to be here. Yeah. So before we get into the show, of course, we just want to remind you how you can participate in the show. Uh, we've got several different ways to interact with us. First, you can visit our website at thisweekinphoto.com slash weddings. There you will find the show notes for each episode, which contain links to everything we mention on the show. You can also leave your comments and your feedback for us in the comments section. And we do read those comments and take that feedback into consideration. It helps us decide what future topics we should cover. Uh, if you do have a question or if you'd like to suggest a topic that we could cover, uh, you can also email us. Our email address is twipwed at thisweekinphoto.com. Uh, or if you prefer using social media, just add the hashtag TwipWed to your post and we will keep an eye out for your posts. And if you want to get involved with us socially, probably the best spot right now, the hot spot right now is our, our Facebook group. We've got lots of new people joining there every week. Um, so join up our Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash TwipWed. And without further ado, let's jump into the show. So like I mentioned at the top of the show, I'm joined this week by Spencer Lum. And Spencer is a wedding friend. I'm going to introduce you, Spencer, and you can tell me if I do a good job or if I miss anything. <laughs> All right. Um, <laughs> but uh, so Spencer is a wedding photographer based in Brooklyn, correct? Yes, absolutely. Excellent. And besides being a wedding photographer, he is also responsible for creating Ground Glass, which is an awesome online resource dedicated to helping photographers build their brand and grow their businesses in a crowded market. Uh, Spencer dispenses valuable insights into what it takes to keep a photography business moving and how to take it to the next level. So today we're going to, we'll probably go all over the place, I think, with our conversation today, but we'll do our best to try to focus on the sales process. And talk about something that, that you call momentum sales or momentum selling. And we'll kind of dig into sort of how do you find and track the right clients? And then how can you improve your sales process to turn them into booking clients? So how did I do? Did I? That, that sounds, I love it. That, that sounds pretty good. Intro. That sounds pretty good. Yeah. I covered Let's it all if we were to get in the elevator. And... <laughs> yes, that's, uh, you've got, that's my whole elevator pitch right there. So we are, we're done. We're covered. Next, done. <laughs> yes. Mic drop out. <laughs> Perfect. So tell us a little bit about Spencer. Tell us about how you got your start in photography and, and kind of where, it, how it led you to, I guess, developing ground glass and all that good stuff. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, geez, it's such a long question with how I got the start in photography. And I'm sure this is true for everybody. I mean, I've been doing it a long time at this point. Started mm -hmm. way back in, God, 90 or 91. 
where I was working as working as an editor for the school paper. Okay. And I've really, I mean, I kind of had these aspirations of being a National Geographic photographer and traveling the world and doing all that, which really didn't happen. Um, but I did, of course, wind up specializing in weddings along the way. That started, that was back in 2003. So kind of after working as a photojournalist for a while and kind of coming out of that, I was trying to find a way to build a business for myself and wedding photography was kind of where things fell. So what really got me started with ground glass, though, is along the way, I'd also had a lot of other business. I had a brand agency where we did kind of a lot of brand campaigns. We did digital design, back web design, um, all sorts of other stuff. I had a couple other businesses. And one of the things that really struck me is, you know, I came into this business and like anyone, you're trying to figure it out and it's a business you haven't done before. So you're trying to put together the pieces and you do everything wrong. <laughs> like, yes. you know, I always feel like every time I start a new business, like the previous businesses help you get rid of maybe like, I don't know, 25 to 50% of the misery, but all 50% of it, you're going to experience all over again. And all completely new misery. New. <laughs> right, exactly. And it is like, there's just no way around it. And the thing about photography is it's just so personal and it's, and you do it on your own. And I think we live in this world where most people kind of are running businesses and feeling that, you know, that we, a lot of us, we spend our days on our own staring at a screen mm -hmm. and you do it on yeah. your own and you're figuring it out on your own. And a lot of times for people, this, this is the first business they've actually decided to work on, on their own. And they're now, I mean, they're, tons of information out there, which wasn't the case when I started. But even with that, it's incredibly hard to figure out what you're supposed to do, what actually works, what doesn't work. Or a lot of times there's a lot of great advice, but the question isn't whether the advice is good. The question is whether it's going to work for you or if it's going to work for you at that particular time. Like there are certain stages in business where kind of something works when you're really large, it's not necessarily going to work at the beginning. Or people have this all the time where something works at the beginning and then as their prices go up or they're kind of, they get more sophisticated or they find a different audience, those things stop working and they can't figure out how to move into the next stage. And so, you know, you, you take a lot of hits <laughs> along mm -hmm. the way. And I was like, you know, I, I, I see lots and lots of tactics out there. I see lots and lots of advice about like how to do this, three tips to do that, the seventh essential, blah, blah, blah. But really, I mean, there is no, I mean, you can't, there are no three steps that are going to build a business. There are no seven steps that are going to build a business. If you work at it in reverse and you already have run a successful business, you can look at a list of seven and say, well, these are the ones I'm going to use right now. But if you're looking at it the other way around where you're starting out and you're trying to figure out what's going to work, that's not going to build a business. And so I wanted to create a resource for people where I could take some of the more complex, large scale situations that happen with like large corporate businesses, you know, things that come from research that's, that's very robust and very detailed, but not really scaled down to fit smaller businesses. I, and really what I like to do is I like to take all that information and help distill it into a way that you can actually use when you're a small business and then give people guidance and give people information about things that are going to work and then kind of give them the why behind it so they get the context and know when it's going to work and when to use it. So they can actually take it and run with it. It's going to be something they can keep going back to over and over. And, yeah. you know, that's, that's what got me started with. Well, that's, that's a whole long winded sort of answer, but, uh, but that's, yeah. that's really, that's, that's what got me to now.
Excellent. So when, when did it all kind of begin? When did you start working on, on the ground glass concept? And when did you, when did you start realizing that that was something that you kind of had a knack for? And, and in addition to your photography uh, work and photography business, did, did they sort of both come along at the same time, kind of just organically, or was it sort of a point in time in your photography career where you went, you know, I think I'm really strong at this business stuff. What can I start? How can I start to share that? And, yeah, no, I mean, you know, I, I am a, for me, in most of my life, I am convinced I just suck at most things. And, um, and I don't say that, like, I neither say that kind of, you know, I, I kind of half mean that. <laughs> I, it's like, it's not, a, it's not a total joke. Obviously, I don't mean that to knock myself down and say, like, I don't believe in myself either. But, you know, what it is, is that, like, you come into a task, and some of them you're better at, some you're not. You never really know how good you're going to be. But what you can do is you can keep working at it. <laughs> you mm -hmm. Just keep on going and going and going and see what works. And some of the things will come easier. Some are going to come harder. But everything I've ever done, I mean, like sales, right? That's something I know we'll talk about a little bit today. But yes. sales is something I was horrible at. And that was kind of a blessing. The whole reason I can teach sales is because I was so bad at it. I kind of had to learn every tiny little microscopic step along the way to understand how to teach myself. And because of that, I knew kind of it's like, okay, I can tell someone, well, these are the steps you've got to go through. But some of the things, let's say, that I've been better at in life that came easier, sometimes they're so intuitive, you don't actually know why you're doing them. You just, you just kind of do them, right? They just become routine, right? <laughs> right? You just do them, yeah, almost on autopilot. Right. So, so you know, a lot of it, I, I wouldn't say necessarily, I mean, I've kind of, it's, you know, people tell me that I have a way of saying things sometimes. And if they feel that way, I, I'm flattered. And I think that's awesome, right? And that makes my day. Um, and if there's something I'd bring to the table, I mean, it, it would be that way. But really, it wasn't so much that I see myself as like kind of being preternaturally gifted coming into it. Like I see so many people, it's like, boom, they come into the scene and it's like, they're just good. Maybe they're good at photography. Maybe they're good at business. It's just like they just seem gifted, right? Right. They're like Tony Robbins. They just right. come out of the gate. <laughs> exactly. Born. They came out of the yeah. womb just exactly. ready to sell and motivate. Exactly. Right. And, and you know, I wasn't like that. I, I just kind of, even with Ground Glass, I started... And I, you know, because I'd run a brand business, there was a lot I knew about brand. There's a lot, especially I knew about like large corporate scale branding and with some very, very sophisticated campaigns. And so that was something I knew about whether I was good at it. You know, I probably wasn't bad, you know, in, in my day, like we, we had pretty big accounts and all that. So um, at least the experience was solid. But, um, but really, I mean, kind of I had that and I was like, well, okay, like, let me start bringing that into ground glass. But even with ground glass, it was like, I had to learn to communicate, learn to teach, and learn to actually understand how I could actually give something to people. If you read my early articles, some of which are actually not up anymore, but, mm -hmm. um, but if you read, but some of them are, I mean, some, it's just horrible. Like, you, you'll look at it and you're like, I, I, there's nothing you can use it for. There's no good advice there. I mean, maybe there might be an okay piece of advice, but I don't communicate it in a way that you really process it and use it. Mm -hmm. And so even that was a learning experience. But um, so, you know, the answer is like, well, I don't know. I mean, mostly I have just like, I've been in the business for a long time and I just keep on trying and I keep on looking for things to work on and develop. And that's what I like to share with people. Yeah. And I think that's a big part of being a, you know, a solo. I like to call, you know, a lot of photographers, we're solopreneurs, right? Yeah. We're, we're entrepreneurs, yeah. but a lot of us, you mentioned this kind of the solitary nature of, of, of the work that we do. A lot of photographers are just one, you know, one woman or one man shows for the most part. And they're the chief cook and bottle washer in the, in the, in the business. Right. And they're the ones making all the decisions, but it's oftentimes done a lot in isolation. Um, yeah. 
you know, which can be, it, it can be exciting because you have the, the full control in your hands. You can take it whatever direction you want. There's nobody else telling you what to do. And that's one of the allures. That's one of the draws for, I guess, getting into any kind of business, be it wedding photographer, photographer, other creative, you know, starting your own business. That's, I think, the initial allure. But then the reality of, of oh, there's, you know, some stuff that you just don't enjoy doing. And it's different for everybody, right? Some people are naturally gifted at, like you mentioned, at sales. Um, or they're just really, really organized. So they do really mm-hmm. well um, with project management and client management, but maybe they're not as strong of an artist. Whereas you have others who are maybe really strong on the art artistic side. They're really good at Photoshop. They're really good at Lightroom. They're great photographers, but maybe they're just, they just don't enjoy the business end of it. So it's trying to find that happy balance, right? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, do you, and maybe you, I don't know if you notice this or in talking to other photographers, do you notice that there's kind of, everybody wants the instant success. There's a bit of that instant gratification society that we live in. Everybody wants stuff now. Mm -hmm. They don't want to wait for it. So they want, they want kind of just this magic bullet recipe of, okay, if you tell me these, these five things, then tomorrow I'm going to have a successful business. Do you find that that is maybe one of the big things that holds photographers back is that if they they don't get that instant success they kind of throw their hands up and give up yeah there there's there's a i mean there's a lot of allure to that right i mean there's a lot of allure to the idea that if you can kind of wash rinse and repeat that everything's just going to work itself out and in a sense i think it's true as in if you keep trying and you're willing to kind of go out and but and go out on a limb you will actually succeed. But that's almost the exact opposite because going out on a limb means you're willing to try out something that other people aren't or try harder or do it in a more daring or different way. Um, but I think it's dangerous. I mean, it is very, it is a very dangerous idea because, you know, in the beginning, what's deceptive is it kind of works to some extent. Uh, now, not as much as it used to because this has become a hyper-competitive industry. Yes. And there, but there was a time, and there still, to some extent, is that kind of when your your prices are really low, there are certain things you can do and kind of copy as a way of learning that are that will get you to a certain point. And I have nothing against people kind of starting out that way. And in fact, I have nothing against anyone taking any approach as long as it works for them. Mm-hmm. But I think what the danger is is that you start off that way. I mean, there's the temptation in the first place because we do have this instant gratification society that tells you, well, this is all you have to do. So there's that initial temptation and kind of that idea that that's how it works. And then you apply it and it gets validated to some extent seeing, oh, it worked. And you think maybe you're getting booked because you did A, B, and C, but you're actually getting booked because of, because let's say only because you're the cheapest person (laughs) or whatever. I mean, that's a super simplified example, Mm -hmm. but, but that definitely happens. And so you think you're doing something right, and you were for that price point, it was fine. Uh, but once you, you know, then you go and listen to the advice that everyone gives, which is you got to raise your prices. And it's true, you have to raise your prices. But you do that, and then suddenly everything falls apart, and you're in a panic, and you're like, well, how, you know, what do I do now? How do I get mm-hmm. clients? How do I get business? And, and very often the answer is, well, I mean, it's you, you have to learn how to run a business. Right. And, uh, and, and people don't realize it. It feels like you've learned to run a business. But a lot of times, the skills that are involved kind of from a day-to-day basis, you, you actually wind up not acquiring them. And, and it's not the fault of the people doing it. It's just kind of like that tends to be when you learn on your own. Uh, it, it just tends to be the nature of 
in, at least in this world of how things go and how people learn. And you, and you kind of went through that, right? You experienced oh, yeah. that in your own photography career, right? You reached a point where you kind of started to do that, where you raised your prices and then I think oh, yeah. you wrote in your blog, I read about that and it sort of, you know, and then you, the bottom fell out and you wondered what, what happened was that, tell us a little bit about that. And yeah, I thought, you know, I thought I was doing great. And, you know, I was kind of riding this wave where at the time I started, it was, it was really easy to get into the industry and it was fairly easy to turn a profit. And I was turning a pretty decent profit for most of it, but it wasn't because of me. <laughs> it was just like the economy and the world around me. And so I was kind of thinking, I take credit, you know, in my head, I took credit for it. Thought, yeah, you know, I'm doing all this stuff right. But uh, as soon as I raised my prices to kind of match what other people what other people were offering then of course you know boom business just evaporates and i'm not getting any calls and well i am getting some calls but like the meetings i'm having no one's booking no one's moving forward and that's when i suddenly realized i'm like oh you know like this is a problem Mm -hmm. um and that that was kind of the first time i had to start thinking well maybe i don't have the business skills that i thought i did because, I mean, obviously, I'm looking around and there are other people who are getting paid that amount for, well, let's say in my mind, maybe the same quality of photography. And maybe even like as a photographer, I wasn't as developed as I needed to be. And maybe I thought my photography was better than it was. I don't honestly have an answer to that question. You'd have to yeah. go back to that time and look at everyone else out there in my work. So I don't even know. But, um, but I do think I probably overestimated the quality of my pictures. And I definitely overestimated the quality of my business skills. And so there's just kind of this big, big vacuum, right? You know, I, I kind of push forward into a level that I really wasn't ready for. And I had just kind of deceived myself into thinking I was. And the panic I had created was nothing other than a reflection of the fact that I, I hadn't kind of crossed my eyes, crossed my eyes, crossed my teeth. Crossed my eyes and dotted my eyes. Yeah. Yeah, you know, I, I, can't, I don't even know how to cross my eyes, actually. <laughs> um, yeah. but, um, but really, I mean, that's what, it, that's what it came down to, right? That I, I just hadn't put together the basics. Yeah. So it's sort of developing that foundation to the business to kind of keep it, you know, keep it sustainable, keep it running and not just based on one thing, like being the lowest price, right? Having all the, yeah. the different marketing pieces. You know, I, I worked for an IT company for a number of years and mm. there was a time where it, the, you know, the economy was doing so well. I mean, you, you didn't have to do anything to get work to come in the door because it was just there was wasn't as much competition. And there was just tons of work. So you didn't really have to work that hard. And then it started getting more competitive. And it started getting harder and the phone stopped ringing as much, right? Work just didn't come in. So now, because we hadn't been focused on the marketing and the advertising and, and, and building some of those foundations, we were just sort of just running on the fact that we were getting lots of business coming in. Yeah. So we weren't building the underlying foundation. And then as soon as things slowed down with the economy and, and, and things, you know, more competition crept in. All of a sudden, you know, the phone started getting quiet. So I remember that from my IT uh, business days and just watch, you know, working at a company and seeing that that happen. And then it was it was a point where we're like, OK, now we actually have to we have to work to start to get clients in the door. Like they're not just falling in the door. at Right. Us. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it um, it's funny because I mean, I guess it's one of those things that breeds bad habit. Like I never used to ask people for referrals as an example. I, I can't tell you how many times how many referrals I've gotten in my life from nothing other than asking Mm -hmm. and it sounds like the most disappointing tip you can give a person in the world like well how do you get referrals and i mean sure there are all sorts of other little nuances and things like that but the 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 big answer is well you ask for them Mm -hmm. and 
I remember the first time I heard that, I thought, well, come on, what's, what's the real secret? It's got to be like, a trick. There's right. a gimmick to it's it. Like, come on, come on, tell me what, come on, you know, it's, I'm not going to share it. Just tell me what the real, what the real story is. And I remember, I mean, I distinctly remember those conversations. I was like, you just have to ask. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't that she was trying to hold out or that she didn't kind of know other things. It was kind of, I think she saw kind of like my miscomprehension was so elemental that really that was the one piece of advice that I needed at that time. And I, I think that, um, yeah, I mean, that, that one piece of advice alone, probably, I mean, I'm sure by this point it's generated like hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars of business and just mm-hmm. one line, right? But the, but what I probably did also did was I lost out on hundreds of thousands of dollars of business because it took me a long time before I started asking. And it took me a long time before I believed that was valuable. In fact, actually, I had to prove it to myself. The only reason I started doing it is I got so desperate once business started getting tighter. I'm like, well, maybe I'm, I remember that person had talked about that. Let me try it out. And this was like years and years later, right? Mm-hmm. And I just started doing it in the first place. But I was looking for the newer, shinier object, right? That's like, sure. You know, I was looking for the inside secret. It's like, well, the inside secrets are usually like doing a good job. At, uh, I mean, there are all sorts of details and nuances and subtleties of doing a good job with all of the fundamentals. I mean, there are a gazillion tricks. But usually, I mean, it's they still tie to kind of these core activities uh, as opposed to kind of like, I don't know. I, I mean, you see it so often. It's like, you just know this one thing, everything's going to change. And it's like, mm-hmm. we don't really live in that. I mean, yes sometimes there are things like that i don't want to say it never happens in the world but i mean we have a hyper competitive world you know like you said it right i mean it on the surface it seems like it couldn't be as nothing could be more different than photography but really i mean it's the exact same i mean business dynamics tend to be very similar across businesses um Mm -hmm. and and you know it's just what happens in one place tends to happen in another and we have a hyper competitive world where on almost every market everything is somewhat commoditized it's like it feels like a unique complaint in our industry where we're saying like no one appreciates us and you know people are always fighting for value but you know honestly i can't think of an industry where or a type of product or service where the where when you're looking at someone good and valuable where your first reaction isn't what it costs that much I mean, it doesn't matter what. It can be for a car mechanic, or it can be for a watch you buy at a store, or it can be for wedding photography. But it's like, this is a competitive world, and kind of raising value and elevating everything is kind of the essential skill. And it starts with really understanding all the core basics and then knowing how to play with that and turn it into something. Yeah, and I think, you know, clients now are a lot more sophisticated than they were. Yeah years ago too right and you mentioned that hyper competitive market it's interesting i just uh, spoke this week with susan stripling about the launch of her wedding school and she mm-hmm. you know one of the things that she mentioned is that it's it's getting a lot harder even for her she's you know a well-established photographer with amazing work she says is she's finding it harder it's not so much the, the booking rates are changed but she's finding it's it's taking a lot longer now to close sales mm-hmm. um, clients have a lot more you know tools at their disposal you know i think the internet has changed that a lot but yeah. the, just the public has become a lot more, they're a lot more savvy, but do you find that they're also a lot more, I guess, cautious um, or a lot more, they're a little more guarded when it comes because they're inundated with so much in the way of marketing and advertising and sales that they, they kind of approach a lot of any, any kind of relationship when they're going to, there's going to be an exchange of something, goods and services and money, but they approach it with a little bit of skepticism. Do you find that? 
that I is the case these days? I find that, I mean, yes and no. Uh, this is going to be one of those, well, if you do it right sort of things. I mean, I don't know. It, it sounds like a lot of bravado when I say it that way. But, but really, I mean, if you do sales kind of with coming in with the right mindset, I, I actually have not found any real changes in terms of like my ability to close. Um, and I mean, most people, they'll usually hire me on the spot or within 24 hours. There's not like a delay of any, any longer than that typically. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mentioned that because I've kind of been measuring that for, for years now, uh, ever since I really started developing kind of that whole moment, my own whole moment sales program and that approach. And that hasn't really changed. Inquiry is definitely more competitive than ever. I think people are kind of, they have a ton of photographers they probably reach out to or what mm-hmm. have you. And there are more photographers out there than ever who are good. And so there are more choices and, and blah, blah, blah. And, and if there were a common complaint I heard in the industry, and actually it's about like people like, I can't get anyone to apply. But, yeah. um, <laughs> but I would say that um, getting back to your question, kind of about the level of skepticism, I mean, the answer is it depends where you come from when you're trying to connect with people and how you're trying to, like, what is your persuasion mechanism? I mean, in, in a sense, like, in, to me, if you do sales perfectly, there is no persuasion mechanism. You're, you're never, you influence people, but you don't persuade. And what I mean by that is, like, we all know that phrase, like, they sell a great salesperson, they talk about how they can sell ice to an Eskimo. Right. But, of course, the whole point of a great sales, a great salesperson doesn't want to sell ice to an Eskimo is kind of the first, needs to be, that has to be the first premise, right? If you're selling and you're a, and you're truly good at it, your premise should be like, if, if I have an Eskimo in front of me and I've got ice as my product, I don't present that to this right. person. I need to find the people who need ice. And actually, I mean, that should be the first order of business before sales comes in. When you look at kind of marketing and branding and positioning, that should be coming. It's like a lot of people actually are selling ice to Eskimos. And what they need to do is they need to find ice. They need to find a desert right. <laughs> as their audience. And instead of trying to find desert, what they're trying to do is learn how to connect with Eskimos to sell ice. And so you, you voluntarily put yourself in a position where you enter like the most competitive market where everyone is kind of fighting for it. And then kind of when the sales meeting comes along, because you're in a situation where you've got ice for an Eskimo, you're trying to kind of persuade and persuade. I mean, on its own, that's a fairly, I mean, that doesn't have a horrible connotation, but what does of course is being pushy. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, the reality is, and this is kind of one of those very, very, very misunderstood things, but, um, like pushiness, it, it's, I hesitate to say this because if I say it, I know that people are going to take it the wrong way because I, I do think like you never want to be kind of scammy right. and slimy and corner people and things like that. That's the used car salesman type exactly. of mentality, like, right? Nobody wants that. But the, my favorite example, and I can't remember I heard this. I heard it in, um, gosh, where was it? It was in a, someone's marketing promo. It wasn't for, for weddings, but it was, um, it was a piece. Uh, and so I wish I could give, you know, give the person credit. But uh, the example that I heard, you know, he, he says, like, well, I want you to think of your favorite company or your favorite store, right? Now, when they present something to you, a special offer, about some, you know, about this product that you love, do you get mad at them? And do you say, oh my God, I hate you. You're trying to push this on me. Or are you excited and happy and jumping up and down that this new thing just came out? In fact, 
when they tease you with how this new piece of thing is, you know, this new thing's going to be coming, watch out for it. And they say, hey, sign on to this list. And I mean, I know we're talking about lists and this is online right now, but I mean, the same mentality applies with in person and with weddings and with everything. But, you know, when they say that and get on the special list to be the first notified, if you love that product, you don't say, oh, you guys are taking me for a ride. You, you get excited. It's like, yeah, I'm on, this, mm-hmm. I'm on this special list. I can't wait for this thing, right? You actually enjoy the experience. And so, no, no one enjoys being cornered and being forced to buy something they don't want. But actually, if you provide a great experience, I mean, good sales is giving people exactly what they want. And if you create a great experience, makes them love the whole part of the ride. They actually like assertiveness. Let's call it assertiveness instead of pushing this, right? Right. But they, they actually like that connection. And so that understanding is huge because you have to know when you're talking with a client, whether it's through marketing activity where like you're reaching out to sales or whatever, or sales activity in person. And wow, my room's getting really dark. <laughs> um, so sun is uh, <laughs> I know, you know, it's what's happening. I keep trying to move closer and closer to the monitor to get the light. Let me turn up the <laughs> brightness on the monitor. There we go. <laughs> um, so, um, you know, going back to that scenario, right? It's so important that you understand the experience of the client. You understand when you're actually persuading. In other words, you're trying to do something that's really just in your own interest. And when you're trying to communicate and help them and do something valuable and give them an experience, in other words, something that's actually going to be in their own interest. And when you do give something that's in their own interest, they actually want the assertiveness. They want guidance. They want help. They want you to recommend this, even if it costs more. They want to be presented with options. They want you to suggest, hey, let's, you know, even like they, they want to move forward. And it seems weird when you don't, let's say, present a contract or ask if they're interested or something like that. People mm-hmm. are so afraid of being pushy that they don't realize that they're actually kind of, they, they get so, I mean, when you think about it, right, when you're thinking about being pushy, I mean, yes, on the surface, you're thinking, I don't want to be mean to my clients, sure. But are you in your client's head and thinking, how are they feeling? What do they want? How can I really service them and help them? Or are you in your own head thinking, I just don't want to be pushy and I don't want to look a certain way. I don't want them to perceive me a certain way, right? Mm-hmm. And when you think about it, like the whole, you're really in your own head. When where you want to be in a sales meeting is in their heads. And I don't mean their heads like to be kind of, I mean, yes, you want to know exactly what they're thinking. But I don't mean to take advantage of them. You want to be mm-hmm. in their heads so you understand, like, what are they feeling? What do they need? And so even this whole idea of pushiness, a lot of times it distracts people from the real issue, right? What counts is what your client feels, what they want, what they need. And the more you can observe that and be perceptive about it, the better you're going to connect. And I have never found a client where when dedicate your time to just kind of serving them where there's resistance because there's mm-hmm. complete transparency there. Everything you do is for them in reaction to them. And so there's no like, oh, what are you trying to do to me? Or what are you trying to persuade me about? Because you're not. And they can tell. And they can feel right. it. And so, so the answer is, yeah, if you try to sell, even in the unconventional, like not the, not unconventional, but kind of the passive way where people are like, let me show you my stuff and let me show you my prices. And, and but I'm going to be really laid back and friendly. And if you'd like to book me, okay, great. But if you right. don't, it's, it's okay because you don't exactly. want to be pushy, right? Yeah. Right. I mean, yes, there are people are more savvy than ever. And there's actually, it's ironic, but you can actually have less, if you, if you serve people and you're, but you're assertive, you can actually, will have less resistance than if you're kind of laid back, but you're not paying attention to your client, you know? So, mm-hmm. so it's kind of like the fundamental premise of how you interact with your client is way more important than... Then, for example, an issue of whether you're pushy or not, 
like pushy is kind of like that's that's down the line you don't you mm-hmm. know pushy is uh, it, it works itself out if you're serving people you're not going to be pushy if you're reading people you'll know how far you should take things and what you should ask for and what you should 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 right and it'll resolve itself you don't have to worry about it um but yeah i, I mean you know the simple answer on the other side is yeah there's no doubt like if you kind of come in and you're not like incredible uh, you know incredible value in, in your meetings before people have even hired you now if you're not doing that then yes people are hypersensitive they've got a lot of options out there and, and you know you can probably hopefully you know i am a big advocate of serving people and i'm a big advocate of sales because i feel like this is your one-on-one contact where you really get to know people mm-hmm. and you can really help them and figure out problems because there's a lot of people never talk to their clients again until like the wedding day other than emails back and forth you have human contact whether it's on the phone or whatever right now it's like you can this is like this is when it starts mm-hmm. and um, and so it's it's a huge differentiator though right uh, I mean, if you're in a hyper-competitive market, well, how do you differentiate yourself? I mean, there's you're not going to find a better chance than having someone who's willing to sit down and talk with you for like an hour. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's like, what what more could you ask for? Yeah. So that's, I, I, we could probably do a whole show just on this question, but how do you, because you mentioned it off kind of at the top of the show that one of the biggest things you hear from photographers is, you know, they'll get these inquiries, whether they're coming in a lot of times nowadays, they're coming in via an email. Yeah. And you, you know, you reply to them and it goes, it's like a, it's like a black hole. It just goes out and it never comes back in. So just, again, we could probably do a whole show on this, but just how do you get them? How do you get them to reply back to you so that you can get that opportunity to get in front of them and, and learn more about their needs and and things? Cause I've found that's, that's probably been our biggest struggle is, you know, we'll get these inquiries and you reply back, you follow up with phone calls if, you know, forgetting their phone number and it's just that. You never hear from them again. It's a black hole. The ones that right. we do get a hold of, we generally do a pretty good job of booking. But yeah, yeah. I mean, there are multiple things at play, and you're right. It's kind of like a subject for a whole show, right? Yeah. But, um, but I'll throw out a few things. Um, my the example I always give, and I I give it because this is this is like um, I don't remember what I said earlier that was ridiculous. Oh, asking for referrals, right? Mm-hmm. This is one of those types of things. I mean, this does not apply to everyone, but it reply, applies to a lot of people which is just like responding very quickly. And again, it's one of those disappointingly simple answers. And I should probably play it up more to sound it, make it sound more spectacular and give it a name so that people li- really listen and think, yes. But, um, <laughs> respond I, or die. <laughs> exactly. It's like, you got to use the respond or die technique. Um, you know, if you give everything a name, like, it becomes more important, right? Yeah. So there was this study done though and it wasn't for weddings, but I have my experiences and stuff is true. Whether the percentages and ratios and all that is true, I don't know. But the principle, absolutely. But what they found is that, like, I always have to reread it to remember the differentials. But it was something ridiculous. Like, if you reply in five minutes versus 30 minutes, it was something like, you know, you have like a 10 or 20 percent. Uh, your ten And that percent is 10 or 20 times more likely people are going to reply back to you, right? Right. And so, in fact, they even found differences between like, I don't know, again, much smaller differentials, like between one and five minutes. And it was like, it wasn't a small margin. It was something like that type of difference alone, like five minutes might translate to like 400% chance increase that people are going to get back. It's like, well, 4x improvement in inquiry response just for changing, for getting back faster. I mean, that's the easiest thing you could do in the world. Like sometimes I'll have people say, but I can't monitor my phone all the time. There are ways around that. 
you know, you can just set up your phone to send you a notification with, if you have a special email for inquiries, for example. Um, but um, the that's the least amount of work you could ever do in a business to acquire a 4x increase in any part. Like if someone told me if I'm running, I don't know, a Facebook ad, I want to get forex, a 4x improvement or a 30x improvement. I mean, I'd be jumping up and down if it was something that simple to mm -hmm. figure out. If I could improve my booking rates just with that small. And so you know, people say, well, I can't do that. I'll be chained to my business. I'm like, well, you know, if you don't, you're chained to your business because you're stressed and worried and you're not getting enough bookings and, and you're spending like 100 hours a year or, you know, 500 hours a year doing other activities that could take you kind of, you know, like five minutes a week or something like right, that, right? Yeah. And, and so it sounds simple, but it's, it's huge. It's huge because if you're the first one in, most people are still at their computer. If you reply like one or two or three minutes, I mean, first people are kind of impressed. People think they're going to, they're going to see it as, Oh, I'm really needy. But people don't think that hard about things. Like people no. are, if we're, we're very self-centered. If someone replies to me quickly, you know, I'm not thinking, what is the other person doing? I'm thinking, Hey, I just got something faster. Right. You know? yeah. they're, oh, they must be, they mustn't be very busy. They're not probably not very good. Right. Like people, I think we can right. get into our own heads and think that sometimes at all. Exactly. If I respond too quick, I'm going to look needy or yeah. not very busy or whatever. Right. Yeah, exactly. I mean, people say, so I'm like, I'm like you know, I have asked, I've, I've asked clients specifically about this. Um, I never thought it would, that's the case, but so many people asked me about that one that I finally started asking people to check. Them. It's like not a single one was like even thought about it. Mm -hmm. They're just like, oh, I was really happy you replied to that. You know, to me, that was a sign that you really care and you're always going to reply that fast, right? Like, I mean, you know, what does anyone do when you send out an email to someone else and expect to, like, if you're having a problem with a company and you're expecting to reply in a day and they reply like five minutes later, it's like, do you sit around and say, they're having troubles? Or do you sit around and say, yeah, they're on top of it. They're right. good, right? Yeah. So super easy, super simple and immediate response. And so that's, that's always kind of my, my big one. I know that mm -hmm. doesn't solve the problem for everyone, but for so many people, like, they're like, I always reply within two hours. I'm like, two hours, you know, <laughs> two hours yeah. in this world is like, that's, They've moved on and booked somebody by then, right? Yeah. yeah. It's like, you, you can send mail. You feel like you should be able to get sent through things from mail at that date. Yeah. So, it's um, funny because when we meet with clients, sometimes that's the feedback we get. We say, you know, have you talked to any other photographers? And we're like, yeah, you know, we talked to about 10. And you, you guys were the only ones that got back to us. Yeah. And it's been a couple of days. And then you're like, what? Huh? So, right. yeah. Right. How is that possible? But, I know. Exactly. So, how do you balance that? Here's a little counter argument. Play devil's advocate. How do yeah. you counter that, though, with that work, that kind of that work life balance, right? Because I know that we'll get inquiries and a lot of them happen at late at night when people are home, they're in front of their computer. Yeah. How do you balance that with kind of that work life balance, right? Right, right. Yeah. How, how do you, how do you, well, I mean, the answer is, I mean, I, I, I'm going to duck it in a sense, you know, I'm going to okay. say, well, you kind of don't. Uh, but what I mean by that is, um, you know, you have to look at a, the bigger picture of the implications for your business, because, you know, when you're a small business owner, your business is your life. The health of your business is your work life balance as well. So if, if something gets, you know, you got to balance, well, how much do I get out of this with, with first, how much does it cost me? Uh, because I see, you know, the amount of, sh like I was saying, like the amount of stress and the amount of work people do to like people, like people love working on marketing because it's very passive. No one's like, and it's not like sales where you have to confront it head on and you have to deal with your own psychology and stuff. 
Marketing is always like kind of fun. Well, not everyone thinks so. I think it's fun. Yeah. Um, and a lot of people do because it's kind of passive and you get to work on it and think about these great theoretical thoughts about uh, what your, your aspirations are and stuff like that. Um, and marketing is super important. You know, by no means do I think marketing is not important. But, um, but sometimes I'll see, you know, a lot of businesses, they'll spend like, let's say, 95% of their time working on their marketing and 5% on sales. And it's like, well, mm-hmm. that makes no sense. Like if, if, if someone's booking like 100%, great. You know, and, and let's say also if they're kind of having good package, like their package values are high. So, I mean, because that's the other part of sales, not just your booking rate, it's kind of getting the rates where they need to be. Right. Um, so, if those things are fine, that's fine. But, you know, I'll see businesses where they're like, you know, they're booking 40%. I'm like, well, the amount of time it takes to go from like a 40% booking rate to an 80% booking rate, which is technically doubles your clients, is actually a lot less in a lot, a lot less pain than it takes through marketing and let's say networking and everything else, right? Mm-hmm. And that's not to champion sales specifically. I mean, because like I said, I mean, I am a big advocate of having branding and, and I think super, super important. But it's just an example of like a lot of times like there, you have to balance kind of how effective something is going to be for your business and how much time you're putting into the different activities. And they all need a certain amount. But I will say this. This is, the, this is kind of how I usually duck out of the question. I mean, if you kind of live on a commune and... Um, Although I imagine then you'd have a whole different business model. But if you live in a commune and you're separated from your phone and from your computer and stuff, I, I think something like what I'm saying about inquiries, it may really fringe on your ability to live kind of a full life. And I think that's completely legitimate. Obviously, I'm choosing a very extreme example, but you get the idea. Um, but, you know, so often I see people, I'm like, well, if you have the time to go and watch some useless viral video on Facebook, <laughs> 20 times a day and make a comment on it and share it with people and or you know flip through instagram and like a bunch of people just so that they like you back it's like well then you have the time to reply to inquiries <laughs> and mm-hmm. uh, you're uh, it's like you're not going to get nearly as many inquiries per if you're getting an inquiry per day i think most people are happy, right mm-hmm. yeah. i mean it's like the amount of inquiries you're getting it's like well the amount of infringement compares to how much something like facebook sucks out of your uh, out of your daily life yeah. is like i mean it's like there's i mean there is some value in things you do on facebook i imagine <laughs> <laughs> but um but really i mean you know it's kind of like well yeah work-life balance is is important but then kind of you know i also like it's like so many people you have to make a decision like whether like are you saying this is really work-life balance like are you really <laughs> is yeah, it truly more... or is it like a resistance that you just i like, don't want to do yeah. More like work it. work balance. Yeah. Yeah. I find, right? It's real work versus perceived kind of busy work, right? This yeah, is exactly. that work work balance, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. So that's a good, t- I think that's some good advice and a good tip is just, you know, re- respond to those inquiries as they come in. Like I said, that's the feedback we get a lot from when we meet clients is they're really like, they were impressed by just how quickly we got back to them. So that's a conscious decision that, you know, that I make. <laughs> To, to respond back to them. Now there's some, it can open up some Pandora's box in terms of, of setting some precedence with the client in terms of that. They, they feel that, okay, Bruce responded to me at 10 o'clock at night. So once we've engaged his services now, you know, I can yeah. text or call him at 11 o'clock at night and I should expect an answer. So you yeah. do have to kind of be a bit, I guess, careful in, in the expectations that you're setting from the beginning. And we've talked about this on a previous episode about kind of managing those expectations and things. So I guess that's always that a little bit of that double-edged sword, right? Like you want to be available, be accessible, but then you also set a little bit of that, that precedent that now they come to expect that, okay, if I send an email to Spencer, Spencer, it it could be midnight. 
Spencer's going to get back to me in five minutes. And when he doesn't, you know, now, now it takes away from the experience. So you have to be yeah. prepared that if you do go down that path, you're kind of setting that precedent a little bit. Is that right? Fair to say? Yeah, I think it's fair to say. Uh, I mean, like you said, I'm sure you've talked about it and I'm actually not going to jump into this one. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I think there are ways around it. Um, mm-hmm. But you, you have to be, I mean, it's like, it's exactly like you said. You, it, it can potentially set precedent. You just, I mean, the core is like, you have to know. I think one of the big problems in businesses, a lot of times people don't know that they have problems. You don't know you have a problem, like kind of like I didn't when I raised my rates, right? I didn't know that I was having problems. You know, I, but I didn't know how to sell. I had a whole theory about why my sales was great. I had no idea that I was actually just horrible at it. Um, and so, you know, if you know you have a problem, you can work on it, fix it. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, kind of the honesty of running a business is actually a huge part. You know, it's, yeah. and, and I don't mean that people are intentionally dishonest, but there's a lot of fear involved in running a business. And um, it's a fear is a really oppressive, difficult thing. And it colors your views of the world. It makes you think things are certain ways and make up reasons sometimes. They're really not. Sometimes, um, you know, I mean, business is an activity of the real world. It's going to be based on what really happens and other people, not, not what's inside your head. So it's kind of like, yeah, I, I mean, I think you're right on. It's like, yes, it can set a precedent. And the key is, well, you have to figure out a way to solve that problem, which you can if you're aware mm. of it and you work on it, you, you know, and you manage it. But if you don't know, then, you know, it creeps up on you and it kicks you in the ass later on. And, um, and then, you know, it's reactive. Once a problem is already kind of fully manifested very often, it's hard to solve. When if you just said like one sent out one email like months and months earlier for that took no it takes no effort at all like it never would happen yeah so 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 okay so let's move just to switch gears then let's change gears I want to get into the actual momentum selling and the momentum the momentum sales and so tell me a little bit about about that I had it was it was in your webinar a few weeks ago you had a webinar and I really loved what you said about a client is someone you protect Mm. a customer is just someone that, that buys something from you. Right. And I think yeah. that's, we want to, we want clients, not customers in, you know, as a, as a wedding photographer. So how does that fit in with the whole momentum sales and momentum selling? Yeah. You know, I love that. Um, I, I love that, that whole story. Sometimes I talk about it more than others because people kind of find, find it kind of obscure, but I'll throw it out there since you bring it up. Uh, but the, the whole origin, right. comes from the Roman definition of a client where a client is someone under your protection. Mm-hmm. And the example I use is that a uh, client is someone under your protection. But if you think about that, that, that particular phrase, I mean, first, I think in and of itself, that's a, that's a beautiful model. It's exactly what it is about serving people. It's kind of like a secret service agent. You're willing to take the bullet, right? Yeah. And, you know, does that raise value? Well, of course. <laughs> you know, if you come in with that mentality that that's your level of service, and that's what your role is. It also takes out a lot of the ego. And, and stress and anxiety, I find, where you realize, like, yes, I mean, I really do think the best thing you can do in any, not just job, but in any role in the world is kind of serve others. When you think about the greatest people that humanity has ever known, the distinct thing you'll find is they all served. They didn't take, they didn't, well, I mean, okay, some, <laughs> some maybe, but, but you know, mm-hmm. typically, I mean, they serve. Um, if you think about, I don't know, whoever, Martin Luther King Jr., right? I mean, you know, they served people in a way. They served society. They brought something that kind of furthered humanity. Anyway, getting back to it because I'm going mm-hmm. No, that's good. I think of Steve Jobs when I think of that, right? Like yeah. he wanted to build and make technology mm-hmm. to make people's lives better. He didn't just yes. want to make billions of dollars. Right. His sole purpose was to build things to make people's lives easier. Yes. And it bleeds into every Apple product from 
well, when Steve Jobs was around. Yeah. And I, always, yeah. I mean, it was, it was always sad to me because I felt like he, he made technology fun. And I didn't mm. know that I loved technology because of Steve Jobs until he passed away. And I realized so much of what I loved about it, actually. But, mm. um, I mean, there, there's the second thing, though, about the idea of a client is that they are under you, right? It's, uh, it's someone you put that's under your care. They have to put themselves under you willingly. They have to be able to say, I'm going to give up my trust. I'm going to let you lead me, tell me what to do. And again, like, does that raise your value? Absolutely. When someone says, I'm going to put your opinion as the most valuable thing as far as this matter goes, uh, even above my own, that means like you are absolutely putting them on a pedestal. So the, there's, there's a beautiful synergy there, right? It's mm -hmm. like on one hand, you absolutely get to serve them and take care of them as best as you can and give wholly. And yet at the very same time, the other part of that deal is they have to not be kind of like as, like you said about the difference between a client and a customer. They have to not be what I call a customer. A customer is someone who just, you know, like you said, I mean, you kind of said it so perfectly <laughs> at the, at the get-go that I almost have nothing to add. But, you know, a, a customer is someone who basically tells you what to do and you take money for it. It's basically your job is to take a bunch of crap from them, mm -hmm. suck it up, and say, you're always right. And it feels horrible. It just feels absolutely horrible because it feels like they have no value for you. And a lot of times, I mean, in that relationship, that's the nature of that structure. Really, they have all the power and, and you have none of it. And I don't mean power in this abusive, egomaniacal sort of way. I just mean like, you know, you have to have, feel like a, have a certain amount of kind of dignity and feel. Of, I mean, it's not about external thing. You know, like you have to be proud of what you're doing, feel good about it. And it's not 100% up to you in the world. Like doing things, I mean, it's 100% up to you that you take a stand, you create the situations for it. But of course, what's going to make you feel valued is kind of all that feedback from everyone else around after you do those actions. So anyway, um, yeah, you know, I, I think it's that Roman definition of client is, is a beautiful way to kind of, it's a beautiful model because it resolves two things that people think of as very different. Like people think during a meeting, let's say uh, during a sales process, oh, you know, I got to kind of go and make someone force them to hire, you know, peddle my wares. And I got to be really cheap. And then, and it almost feels like a conflict, the idea of like either you serve them or you kind of force them into something, but you can't have both. Mm -hmm. But the reality is you absolutely can. <laughs> it's like, you know, if you, you, someone putting themselves under you while you willingly give up yourself to, for them is exactly that, right? It's like, um, and, and so if you, you know, if you do a sales meeting right, you're going to bring tremendous value to your client and help them. And at the very same time, those actions are going to compel them and make them feel like they have to hire you. And, and it's great. No pushiness. You don't have to, you know, you, you don't have to be slimy or anything. And, but the result is people say, Hey, I want you to shoot like yourself. I want you to be yourself. I want you to tell me when this tree is ugly. Even if I say, Hey, can we take a picture of this tree? Um, mm -hmm. and, and it's like, it's like the perfect balance of all things. And so I think it, you mentioned um, one of the things is, is just the whole sales process, right? And there's a, there's a really important step and this really st stuck with me. And this is something that I've been conscious of, you know, for the last few years. And I think it really helps us in our meetings with our clients is, you know, you kind of have, I think a lot of photographers or any business, right? They kind of have a typical format to their sales meeting, right? There's some chit chat, if you will, or just some, some introductions. Yeah, And then a lot of times they move on from there right into some sort of a pitch or showing something or, or selling something. 
And then you talk about, okay, pricing and, and then wrap it up. But you, you pointed out that there's a very important step in between kind of that chit chat phase yeah. and the presentation phase that kind of is, is critical. Yeah. Do you want to yeah. talk about that? Because I think that's a big key in this whole momentum selling. Process yeah. Actually, you know me. what? I'm going to take a step backwards from sure. this one yeah. because there, there's this principle involved in that that um, it's a little more high level, but I'd really, I'd really love to get it out there. Let's do it. Yeah. Um, but, um, you know, it, it's just this, it's just this classic marketing thing. But I think um, it works and there are other ways of putting it. And there's some people kind of like, think oh, it's too old school and blah 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 but i think it works and um i, I think it's a very effective model anyway it, the idea is that like whenever you you want to present something you want to go through this stage of creating a problem agitating it solving it right and this goes to and the reason i want to take it a little more high level is because it's by far it's not in any means just a sales thing uh it's every much every bit as much a marketing thing and if you go to a typical website that a business has right I mean, what happens when you go on to a website? <laughs> Usually you see a bunch of pictures and that's it. Or maybe right. you see some tagline that is virtually meaningless or completely generic, right? Or you go to an about page and all people do is they talk about themselves. I mean, there's, let's use the about page because that's a page people usually put a lot of copy on, right? Mm -hmm. And all they do is they talk about themselves. I'm this, I'm that, I love this. And it's like, well, <laughs> that addresses absolutely zero concerns of what's going on inside the client's head, right? If you want to move people, whether it's in a sales meeting and you're talking with them to bring this out or in your marketing copy and you're writing about things, right? The first thing that you have to make people aware of is what their problem is. Because when you, when you think about something, any service that someone comes into for the very first time, they're not going to be an expert. They won't know mm -hmm. what they need. They won't know how to look at it. It doesn't matter whether you're talking about personal training or photography, right? No one's going to understand photography and say, I get why photography is valuable in the way that we get it. I mean, they shouldn't because they're not mm -hmm. photographers. Uh, I mean, in fact, that's the whole thing that makes us experts is that we get that and they don't, right? And they need to be made aware of kind of what photography means for them. And usually the way you start doing that is you kind of introduce, you have to introduce a problem. And I'll give you a simple example. Um, I'm not going to make it photography specific just uh, so that the example is a little bit more obvious, right? But if I sit around, if you come onto a page and, uh, and let's say, I don't know, I'm trying to sell you um, an SEO product. I'm just making this up as I go. <laughs> so okay. we'll, we'll see how this lands. We'll see if this works. Uh, but you, you've got, I've got an SEO product for you to get unlimited, um, you know, unlimited amounts of wedding photography clients, right? And so if the very first thing you come into the page and the very first thing I say is, hey, you need to start doing SEO because you're going to, you know, because it's going to bring you tons of clients. Well, that's, that's fine. That's a benefit, you know, um, that gets people started. But it is way more powerful if you start off actually identifying people's problems to get, become aware of the value of that solution. Like what I just did is I just pitched you essentially kind of solution. At least I gave it a benefit, right? I mean, um, but it would be even worse if I said, this SEO solution has blah, blah, blah features. It works quickly. <laughs> Yeah, uh, that would be <laughs> easy to worse. install plugin. Right. Exactly, yeah. exactly. Yeah. yeah, you know, new, special, easy. You know, just log into the website and it'll automatically do it for you. That would be even worse. Some people actually are like that. It's like we have like two cameras. We'll do this. Give you this many pictures, and they go into a whole pitch of you know of their features without even talking about the benefits. But bringing it one step back, right? Imagine you come onto a page. So you come onto this web page. You're a photographer. You come onto it, and the very first thing it says is something like. The easiest example I can think of is because this is 
always most of my business. And really, I mean, for at least like two thirds of my business, this is what consumed me, right? Is that you say something like, imagine this in a quote. I was tired of having months where I had, you know, I had lots of business only to be followed up by even more months where nobody came in at all. I was constantly stressed and frustrated and I felt like I didn't know what I needed to solve with my business, right? Who doesn't, you know, if you read that and you're a business owner, I mean, who doesn't want to keep reading? I mean, mm-hmm. when I go to other sites that say that, that almost those exact same words, I read it <laughs> because mm-hmm. the first thing they're doing is like, sometimes people think, well, you know, like people think when you're the writer, it's like, oh, I'm just trying to lure you in or something like that, right? But there is nothing that could be more respectful in the world than identifying the exact problems that you have as a human being and saying, I get what your problems are. I deeply get them and experience them, know, know what's inside your head. But the, and so, I mean, on one hand, I think of like kind of, letting people become aware of that. It's like, well, yes, it is tactical. It it does Mm -hmm. produce a result that's beneficial from a marketer standpoint. But actually, it also shows you kind of this awareness and sympathy and recognition that I'm not just doing this product, this product, doing this product because I know what your problems are and that's what I'm trying to help you solve for real. And I'm not just going to pitch you the moment you hit my site. I'm going to take a little bit of time to give you an experience and help you give some context about what this is all going to be for, right? So you read a headline like that, and it's almost like, well, it's almost irresistible in a sense, because it's a problem that's so deeply connected to every business owner in the world that you want to know. It's like, okay, tell me what you got next, right? And then, so in other words, once you have people, once people start to become aware of the problems they have, your value shoots up as a business. Because uh, if you don't know your problems, then it's like, well, what's, you know, a solution on its own means nothing, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, a solution has no value until a solution's value is defined by the scale of the problem. And most people, they kind of like to, let's say in a meeting, they'll present all their pictures or on a website, they'll actually start throwing all the things there, all the great things about there. Like once you've connected with people and shown you've got their problems and shown you're going to solve them, talking about your personality or throwing that stuff in, great. But before that, it's actually people think they're being like really cool and stuff like that. And they're not using kind of all the, you know, I don't know. It's like, you know, they're being kind of very independent and now and, and it's not like all marketing. But what they're really doing is just talking about themselves instead of actually trying to identify with what the client really wants to hear about and needs. So, I mean, it works great at an emotional level, but it amplifies the level of like, well, how much of a problem do I have? You've got to know the significance the problem if i don't know that a photographer like the way they capture things is going to make create hollow pictures that seem very synthetic and boring and unlively then i don't you know people i mean everyone captures a moment (laughs) even if you're Mm -hmm. bad at it everyone captures a moment and i might think as a potential you know as a potential client i might think yeah you know that captures a moment and until you actually start to make me aware of what a moment is and why i need them it's like I don't have that much value for it. Mm-hmm. So you need to start getting people to think about the scope of what it is that they're dealing with. And you need to, and you need to get them to kind of, you need to get that to front of mind because, you know, usually that's actually in the back of people's minds, somewhere in someone's head, they know that they would cry if there wasn't a single picture of grandma the you know, at the end of the day. And by the way, I, you know, in saying that, take that a step further, you know, I want to point out, like a lot of times people think their value is like grandma oh my value is i kept your grandma it's important to remember actually the value there is reliability 
If you're saying, mm -hmm. I'm going to capture grandma, what you're really saying is I'm reliable, I'm responsible, I'm going to learn about the people I need to shoot. And, and that's a very different value. A lot of times people present the wrong one. But anyway, I'm kind of cutting myself off and digressing. <laughs> Getting back to the point, in the back of people's minds, they know if they don't get a picture of grandmother, cry. Or they know that maybe pictures feel too generic and not special enough. Wow, I'm really dark. Sorry, just people. Yeah, I'm right. down <laughs> my screen. I should turn on. I mean, um, I'm trying to think. Is there, there are no lights around here that I can reach right now? So I'll just keep on going. Spencer's uh, coming to us from a cave right now. For those who are watching, well, the video, I feel like so. even one of those '80s videos or something. Yeah. You know, where it's like you just got this head and with all black. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> um, so but but getting back to it, right? You have to get out kind of what the real, deep underlying problem. And so, like, when I was just talking about that example for a headline business, I mean, I've said things like that. You know, I don't, sure, I want people to read my copy, but saying it because, like, I have lived it and I know it. I know this is what's inside people's minds. And I know that if I want you to actually take action and do things that are going to make your business better, I need to make you aware of what's going on, what you're, what you're, you have to, I have to give you a mirror to kind of hold up, right? Mm -hmm. Well, same thing. It's the exact same sort of situation we're dealing with when we sell photography. So, Someone hits a page, someone goes to a website, someone comes into a meeting, you establish kind of like, you figure out kind of their deep, their kind of their, whatever problems are really there. And then you get that out and usually you kind of agitate. <laughs> agitate means that you just basically kind of either if you're in person, you keep talking about it. If you're sitting around and looking at a website, it means you kind of keep writing about it. Again, kind of going to it like, I find it tremendously disrespectful. Like, here's, here's what would be kind of going to an example of scammy. It's like, if you go to a website and I had a line like that, and then the next line is, but let me solve that right now by selling you this thing. And mm -hmm. so I'm like, well, I've just like lured you in to go and pitch something to you, right? Mm -hmm. It's almost like, well, yeah, I mean, it's kind of like, I haven't even taken the time <laughs> again. To, to get to know you or let right, you, you just jump right to the, you know. Yeah. And, yeah. and that's exactly, I mean, I've seen so many people like they'll have a Facebook campaign and they'll have a landing page, right? And the landing page will have exactly something like that. They'll think in their headline, like, what can I really do to grab people's attention? And yes, it is grabbing people's attention that you want to do, but you want to do it for a more kind of hopefully, like you said about Steve Jobs, you want to do it for a more deep set and more meaningful reason <laughs> than just mm. to grab their attention, right? I mean, you have to have something better you're trying to do for people or else it will come through as kind of just a cheap ploy because it, that's exactly what's happening. But if you're doing it for something real and you give people all that material, then it won't. And so, you know, people have a headline and then the next thing they'll say is, and I have 10 days, you know, I have a limited number of days available. So, if, you know, get sign up for this form now and you can get a special discount. And it's like, well, okay. So, in other words, the structure of this is I've just, I've just tried to suck you in with a headline to make you feel something. And then I just started throwing garbages at you and promoting you all in my own self-interest, right? And, and I see that type of stuff all the time. It's like, well, if you want to make an effective landing page, you should be going into next. You should follow up with the education. I mean, it sounds strategic and manipulative, and it is strategic, but, um, but it's no more manipulative than writing a good story. Every good story is manipulative. That's, in fact, if it's not, it's like a textbook and it's just really boring. We want things to be manipulative like mm -hmm. um you know, it's like if you go to a classroom and the teacher is like doing all these things in this funky fun way to make it fun for you that's the experience you want you don't want straight up information which is what a lot of times people like to give you, you want mm -hmm. an experience so you know you have to care enough for the client to create an experience so you get that headline anyway i'm going on and on but you get that <laughs> headline and then you know 
build that up. And so that's the agitation stage. And the reason it works is because once people are interested and that's that starting to get to the front of their mind, now you can start to round it out and start to talk about, well, you know, have you had this or have you had that? Or, you know, you can tell a story about blah, blah, blah. And, you know, wedding, you know, didn't, <laughs> didn't capture a picture of grandma was going on these lines or, or if you're kind of about if it's, or maybe it's more aspirational. So like, let's say you have a very glamorous sort of polished fashion-y style. And then you're going to talk about, you're going to build up this world and talk about the clients, you know, kind of the client's world and the challenges about why that doesn't happen and how, you know, unflattering pictures and how horrible an unflattering picture can be and showing someone at the wrong angle and, and all that stuff. And you're kind of agitating what's on their mind, right? Right. In that particular example, it's like, Oh no, I'm going to look horrible and it's not going to look like how I see myself. And that's done. Then, um, and, and then once you get through all that, then people are going to be finally interested enough to be willing to listen to what you have to sell them. And they're actually going to want you to sell. I mean, I'm simplifying, but that's when people are going to start to say, okay, I'd like to know what you've got as a fix. Yeah, because I think a lot, of, a lot of people, probably a lot of customers they, or clients, they, they come in to meet with a wedding photographer because it's initially it's the, another thing on the checklist, right? Like yeah. they know they need a venue, they know they need a caterer, they, because that's just what tradition has told them or somebody else has said, Oh yeah, you need these things for a wedding. So a lot of times they come in, not even knowing like what, why are we even here? We just, we know we need a wedding photographer, but then you, you got to get them understanding the importance of it and thinking about it. Cause if they don't, then they're just coming in and looking at your pricing and comparing it to the three other photographers that they look at and going, okay, well this person's the cheapest and the photos seem pretty so okay but if you can actually like say kind of identify what some of the issues are that again they might not even know they have and then start to work towards how you can solve some of those problems um yeah and i'm glad you just reeled that in because i'm like damn that was a long explanation no that's it. <laughs> <laughs> so, but yeah I, I mean you said it just right right i mean people really they don't have the path to make them the short the short explanation is exactly that they have to be aware of kind of of, of what they need to have solved before you're going to go and try to solve it for them. Yeah. I think I watched, I forget. I think it was Joe Busink. I watched a, a great thing on him and it was actually, it was, it was kind of behind the scenes of how he dealt with a sales consultation. Mm -hmm. And a lot of his was approaching like a, an example that he did was, you know, when's the last, you know, in talking with the couple, you know, when's the last time the family all got together and, and did a photograph together and they said, Oh geez, you know, wow, it's been, it's been a really, really long time. You know, the last time we got together was at, you know, grandma, so-and-so's funeral and we don't have a great family photograph. Oh, let me show you some example. You know, how can we get the family together and get a really nice portrait, right? And showed some examples of here's some great family portraits during the wedding. And then they start thinking about, oh yeah, we need to get some family portraits done. And it gets them all thinking, you know, in a different direction as opposed to, oh, we just have to hire a photographer for the right. wedding. Now it gets them. right. That's, that's a great microscopic example, right? And I mean, in a matter of seconds, you've just described a scenario that takes people through all three of those things. You, talk, you, you introduce a problem, you extend on it, agitate it a little bit, and then you give a solution and you let people yeah. keep talking about it. And, and it goes from like, I hate formals to, oh yeah, you know, that's really nice. And uh, it completely changes. Like people at first, when they're, what they're thinking is like, this is stuffy, it's like grandparents did or my parents did. But then, you know, I mean, in your example, right, you go through that and you're like, oh, okay, you know, I see the value of that. That's important. Perfect. Yeah. You know, exactly. Yeah. So it's playing on that kind of that emotional side, right? Because wedding photography is an emotional purchase, right? Nobody, yeah. nobody needs 
wedding photography at the end right. of the day, right? Like people right. always come to us and they say, oh, well, weddings are so expensive. And we always say, you know, a wedding actually isn't that expensive. You can get married for about $400. Right. Um, but throwing a big party with an open bar for, you know, 200 of your closest friends and family, that's what's expensive. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All the relatives. So it's a very emotional purchase when they're buying photography, right? Yeah. So if you can, if you can get them thinking and, and getting those problems, I really like that approach. So that's kind of, is that, would you say, is that the impetus kind of behind the, the idea of momentum selling? Yeah. I mean, the, I mean, the big kind of the big picture takeaway with momentum selling is that sales really at the end of the day, it's not about being nice and it's not about giving people stuff. Um, it, uh, it is about serving people, but mm -hmm. the, the, but, but the, but that's not really kind of the thing that makes sales as a meeting kind of psychologically effective is just, you need to get people excited. Like that example we just talked about, like that, that little micro example with the family pictures, right? That's how you could take someone's in simplest term from being indifferent about something to saying, Hey, this is, this is actually, I, I, you know, I want this. And I mean, that's not like jumping up and down excited that case, but I mean, that gets interest that gets some level of energy and involvement. Mm -hmm. And so in the big scope of things, what you want to do is you want to take people, you want to make sure that kind of you, it's about their emotional experience. Kind of like I was saying, like that, there's that word again, experience, right? It's about their emotional experience throughout the entire meeting and making sure that by the time they walk away, they're kind of really... And, you know, by the time you're showing them prices and things like that, you, you know, a lot of people, they don't try to do the selling until they show the prices. And then, of course, mm -hmm. they don't want to do any selling because it feels really, you know, it feels really slimy, which is true. I mean, if you haven't built up any excitement and you actually haven't taken time to really get to know your client in kind of that really deep, meaningful way that's going to actually help them, serve them, then it's like, well, yeah, then, you know, it's like, of course, it's going to feel slimy. And of course, you're not going to want to sell at that point because exactly because you haven't built up any real value during the meetings. So the idea is, you know, you, you want to have an emotional structure that kind of keeps getting people more and more engaged and interested. And the great thing is it actually, like you just pointed out with the family photos, it actually makes them see more and more value in what you do along the way. Like those things are equated. When people have a good experience, they actually value things more and right and, and that it becomes less about the price at that point right, right. so then the, then the, the point at which you present the pricing and the packaging and all of that is really just more of the it's more of the clothes than than that you're, that you're selling to them you've already kind of done all the selling process leading right. up to that now now it's just formalities exactly at, at it's point. not right the clothes should almost be kind of like a series of formalities in, in, in a sense right they're not it shouldn't be the high pressure part the you shouldn't need that because you it's like you said it's about emotion you get people's emotion where it needs to be, then the clothes actually becomes pretty easy and you don't have to get all stressed out about it, worried and stuff like that. I'm not saying it takes no practice. And you can't screw it up. But really, I mean, it's, it's not about the clothes, not everything that happened before the clothes. And, and I think kind of that's like I was saying in my example about being pushy. People like, well, I want to be really nice or I want to be really professional or I want to be really impressive. And these things are all about how you want to be perceived by your client. And it's like, you need to get focused on like, I want them to feel blank. Like that would almost be the first thought, whether it's a marketing campaign or you're doing sales. The very first thing I would ask was like, well, well maybe not the first, but one of the first questions I'd ask anyone is like, what do you want them feel? Like, let me actually, I'll throw in this totally random thing. 
I was just thinking about the other day because I used to be, you know, I used to be a graphic designer. Mm-hmm. And all the time, you know, you would like create designs in the abstract for the client you barely knew at all. And so you'd choose a color palette, you'd choose a look, you'd then say, this is what I think would be great for you. And a lot of times you barely really knew what they did and what they stood for and who their audience was. And things are more sophisticated now than when I was doing it. But still, I mean, a lot of times people are like, $5 logo, and they're just getting handed like some logo that looks maybe okay, maybe not, depending. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but sometimes they look pretty good. Uh, and they're getting handed a logo that looks decent. But the problem is that, like, in reality, like, there's some sort of audience out there that you're, you're trying to reach, right? I mean, everyone has this, this specific audience. You should. You should know exactly who you're trying to reach. They should have very specific characteristics. They should have kind of things they like to do, places they like to hang out. And it should be only, you know, your audience does it and other people's audiences don't or else you don't have a very specific targeted audience. Well, here's my point. Different people respond to like different colors, different looks, right? Let's even just choose something as simple as color. I mean, in all honesty, if you don't know your audience, you can't even pick the right color for your logo, much Mm -hmm. less the design and every other part of it or the typeface or kind of whether it's going to be blocky or thin or every other part. You can't even pick a color. And so, if you think about it, though, most people, they create full-fledged or hire other people to make full-fledged designs without ever thinking about who their audience is, right? And so, well, what good is that going to do you? The whole point of a design is to make someone react and say, I like this person. This person's for me because you pick the logo that your ideal client is going to say, that type of logo makes me feel good. It makes me feel comfortable. It makes me feel that's the type of person I like to work with. I like companies that have that type of logo. And I see that you have it, so I'm going to want to, you know, I'm interested, show me more, right? Mm -hmm. And and so the very first question, yeah, I'd say that for anyone to ask in sales as well as marketing, you know, is like, how do you want, you know, what reaction are you trying to generate in whoever you're trying to reach? And and so I I see this as more of a global principle, but as as goes for momentum sales, it's the exact same thing there, right? You have to think about like what is not whether I want to be pushy or whether I don't want to be pushy or whether I want to look slick or professional or, you know, homey or modest or whatever. It's like, those are all about me. My, my first thing is like, I have to look at the client and say, you know, what do, what is the experience I want them to have? What do I want them to see? And how do I make, you know, is, is if I, if I choose that I want to be homey, is that going to be the right thing for them? It's going to make them feel good, comfortable, taken care of all that type of stuff. And so Usually it's like this big mental block. We see the world as how we want to be perceived and what we want out of things. But all business is actually the exact opposite. You have to see the whole business as like what you know, is all about all the people you're trying to reach out there and what you want to give them, do for them. Awesome. It's, it's, I mean, it's fascinating. It's the, sa- the whole sales marketing. It's a whole, it's a whole world that you could, you know, we could have you on for for hours and talk about all kinds of different topics and stuff like that. But uh, I, you know, I think we've sort of teased the audience a little bit. We hopefully we've gave, given them some things to, you know, to think about when it comes to just once they get those clients kind of in the door, but really even before that, right. Really that like you, like you mentioned, kind of thinking about what's the experience that you want the clients to have. And that's going to inform all your, all your decisions from your marketing and your branding and your advertising to just the experience of when they come to meet with you through to the you know the experience on the day of the wedding through to the experience on the delivery it's all it's all tied in part and parcel of the same the same thing right it's that yeah. client experience so. yeah yeah exactly yeah excellent 
Good summary. <laughs> so perfect. yeah, so some some great advice. Um, if people want to kind of learn more, and we'll, we'll wrap up, we'll give you a chance to kind of uh, let people know where to go to find out any more information. But before we go on, we want to just uh, normally we'll do a, a listener question, but I think we've run a little bit long this week, so we'll skip the listener question this week and uh, save it for another uh, another week. Um, but I want to jump to our picks of the week and uh, give you a chance to share your pick with us because I know you you'd uh, got a, a great. Uh, pick there for us so yes yes absolutely um i forgot the full title of the book i'm working reading right now so let me pull it up <laughs> it's a sitting on my phone over here to the side perfect yeah. it is um let's see of course you know that's when the phone crashes it's, it's, uh, yeah. <laughs> but um uh, it's like it's one of you know every book nowadays has like one of these these uber long titles you know you've got the short title and they all have to have like the the whole description part and i never right, yeah i never remember <laughs> so this just like yeah yeah it's like books used to have names right yeah <laughs> they used to the have Odyssey. titles yeah the daily ad exactly like, yeah. it was simple um yeah. so the book is uh it's by ann hanley it's everybody writes your go-to guide to creating ridiculously good content and so um you know i've been spending a lot of time over the past couple of years like reading up on copywriting and, and how to use words and all that um, because i think that was kind of um, one of the things that i really had looked at that much along the way i mean i've been i've written in some form or another for a very long time but uh, copywriting is kind of much more purposeful and it's, it's much more kind of about how you get business and so i think um it, it's kind of gives a really good description of the of the considerations that you need to have so highly recommend it excellent everybody writes what was the author again? Uh, Anne Hanley. Anne Hanley. Perfect. Yeah. Well, we'll put um, a link to it in the show notes for this episode for cool. those that want to check it out. Sounds so good. I'm going to call an audible this week. Um, I'm going to make mine also a book uh, pick because uh, when we were talking here, it got me thinking of a great book uh, called Purple Cow by Seth mm. Godin. If you've ever um, had a chance. I don't know if you, have you read that book. Good choice. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Uh, I, love, I love that one. It's actually someone asked me about like, what was it? I, I think they'd asked me about kind of the, the thing that really changed the way I thought about marketing and that, that was it. So uh, yeah. love your, love your pick. Yeah. So that's, yeah. that's a pick. So that's a purple cow by Seth Godin. It's a fantastic kind of marketing sales book. Um, kind of, you know, that whole talk when we were talking about selling ice to the Eskimos kind of got me <laughs> thinking yeah. about that, that book. So Excellent. Good stuff. Well, that uh, that brings us to the end of another episode of Trip Weddings. Um, I want to thank our sponsors for their support and remind uh, our audience to send in your questions for the show and share your thoughts by commenting on the blog post for this episode. Now, Spencer, if people want to learn more about you or, or follow along or learn more about momentum selling, uh, where can people go? And you, you just recently kind of launched a fairly new resource for people, right? With the momentum sales. Uh, yeah. Course. I mean, I've, I've got a bunch of resources, but the place I tell people to go, I mean, if you go just straight to my homepage at www.ground-glass.com, that's the place I say to check, check out because the first thing you'll see there is you can sign up for the newsletter. The newsletter gets you this cool free course. It, it goes through kind of the whole foundation of putting a business together and all the things you need to consider. And it just goes straight to your inbox. So, so you get that. But what you also get is, you know, I've got a bunch of things in the work. I've got momentum sales. I'm developing kind of a market branding program. I'm also actually having a really fun uh, group kind of a, a, a group course where people are going to go through it together and you're going to get these daily assignments that I'm working on. So bunch of stuff that is in the works right now and you'll be informed of all of that along with getting free along with getting free course. So that's all there. 
Excellent. So that's ground-glass.com. And how about if they want to follow you on social networks? Where's the best place to follow you? Where, you, where do you spend most of your time? Twitter, or you on Facebook, Instagram? I, I am horribly inactive, but uh, you know, I've got accounts on all of them. I mean, if you've got Twitter, you go to Spencer Lum. Um, mm-hmm. Facebook, you know, the ground glass, uh, the ground glass page is the place to check out. Awesome. Good stuff. We'll direct people there. And again, we'll put links to that in the show notes. If you want to find Spencer's stuff, head on over there. Great resource. I enjoy visiting the site and reading, reading your uh, blog posts and, uh, you know, gets me thinking about sales and marketing, um, as well. So, and if you, uh, if you want to follow my stuff, um, you can visit my website, which is at momentsindigital.com. Or if you want to, uh, follow me on social media, I'm at Bruce Clark with an E at the end of Clark. So Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, all those good places. And of course, be sure to visit our website at thisweekinphoto.com. There you'll find uh, this show, TWIP Weddings, plus all the other great shows that are part of the TWIP network. And thanks again for listening to TWIP Weddings, raising the bar one wedding at a time. Mm-hmm.